Hello, damn giving friends. Welcome to the first Let's Give a Damn podcast episode of 2019. I'm so pumped. I have some thoughts that I'd like to share with you as we begin the new year, and then I'll share some 2018 podcast highlights with you. Everyone did their highlight episodes over the last two weeks of 2018. I didn't want to do it then. For one, people are so damn busy over the holidays, and there's so much to be excited about. But now that it's the new year, people are going to be bummed that it's now just a bleak winter time, and there are no fun holidays in sight for many, many months to come. So I waited until today to cheer you up. Well, I hope you'll find some or all of this cheery. So here's the deal. There are so many things that are out of our control, right? I won't begin to list them all because we'll be here for a very long time. Good things and bad things, all out of our control. A good leader and a great human accepts those things which are outside their control. Not that we sit around idly. You know enough about me to know that I'm a huge advocate of the opposite of idleness. But we accept these things that we can't control and we double down on the things we can control. You know what isn't out of our control? Giving a damn. Making a difference, that's 100% up to you. That is something that we do have our in our control and something that we can double down on in the year 2019. So recently, I did a little project with Blake Mykoski and Jake Strom from Tom's, the shoe company. Earlier this year, uh, and I was reminded of this story that I recently read about and heard uh, because of this little project I was doing, and I wanted to share it with you. So early this year, Blake's uh, wife called him up and said that she was scared to take their son to school due to all the school shootings. Now, I know exactly what this feels like. I send my kids off to school every day and pray to God that he keeps them safe from any and all crazies out there. It sucks that I even have to pray that prayer, that school shootings are a thing, but they are. But as he wrapped up that call with his wife, she mentioned that someone needed to do something, something along those lines. Someone needs to do something. After he got off the phone, he decided to do something about it. Pause. There is a Marcus Aurelius quote that I love. He says this, waste no more time arguing about what a good man should be, be one. And obviously, I hope that he would say the same, if he were alive today, he would say the same thing for all men and all women, everyone. But for the sake of this quote, Marcus Aurelius, famous Stoic, famous leader, said, waste no more time arguing about what a good man should be, just be one. End pause. So Blake and Toms decided to commit $5 million to groups on the ground fighting to reduce gun violence. And by the way, that is the biggest, the largest single donation for this cause ever, $5 million. But he went way beyond simply giving money to the cause. He and Tom's made it possible through this, uh, this, this, uh, this app that they developed, this uh, online platform that they developed, they made it possible for every single American, that is those who want to participate, for every single American to fill out a quick form 
that will send, that will automatically send a free physical postcard to their congressional representative, begging them to do just one thing, to advocate for universal background checks for anyone buying a gun. Now, I first heard about this initiative when he launched it a few weeks ago on Jimmy Fallon's show. In the few days after that announcement, more than 500,000 Americans participated. They went on to toms.com, found the form, put in their name, address, all of that. And Tom's, on their behalf, sent this physical postcard to their representative. Still to this day, weeks later, and I know this because I'm in touch with Jake and Blake, thousands more are going out every hour. Thousands of Americans are going to toms.com every single hour of every single day since then to fill out that postcard. So Blake was interviewed recently by the folks at the Daily Stoic, a Ryan Holiday initiative, and he said the following, when 90% of Americans are in favor of universal background checks, it is not a political issue anymore. It is a human issue. We all want to be more safe. All I'm trying to do is bring people together to have the politicians listen to the people they are supposed to represent because our voice can be heard when we make it loud enough. It all starts with individual actions and if enough happens, they cannot be ignored. History shows us that over and over again, end quote. Now, some of you cynical types out there are probably thinking, well, Blake Mykoski, he's rich. Tom's is a famous brand. He launched his initiative on Jimmy Fallon. We can't do that. Now, first of all, you're wrong. I think you should have, if that's if that was your first reaction, you should have bigger dreams. You should have more ambition, but we'll leave that for a different day. So allow me to give you a more relatable example then, perhaps. Another example of this type of thinking is my friend, Nicole Devereaux. She and her family live in New York City. In the 40 weeks leading up to her 40th birthday, she committed to raising $40,000 for nonprofits she cares a lot about. And as we prepare to enter the new year, she is closing in on $20,000 and she has 20 weeks left until her birthday. So she's on track to raise the 40,000 for the nonprofits that she cares about. Now, Nicole doesn't have a huge platform. She's not famous, but she saw a need. She felt the burning desire to do something and she's fucking doing it. And that's what I want for you this year, friends. Get going, do something. Enough with the excuses already. The reality is you'll always have something to whine about and someone or something to blame your inactivity on. And when I say, let's go back to the beginning real quickly, I said there's so many things out of our control, so focus on the things you can control. I'm not advocating for shutting ourselves off from the shitty things happening around us that we can't control, not at all, quite the opposite actually. I'm saying we must see and hear these things and channel everything we are feeling toward action. I could give you a long list of practical steps for how we begin doing this, but for the sake of time, I'll only give you one today, friends. And that practical step is to think about death and dying. In James 4.14 in the Christian Bible, we read these humbling words. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. 
Friends, over the last week in preparation for 2019, I read two books. I read How to Grow Old by Cicero and How to Die by Seneca, two of my favorite Stoics. I've been humbled so much because of these two books. The Stoics call this practice of thinking about death and preparing for death, memento mori. That's memento mori, a Latin term for remember death or remember you will die. It may be fable or it may be literal history, but either way, the following, the following example that I'm going to give you is chock full of truth. The stories say that in the second century, when Roman generals would come back victorious from battle, they would have servants. These are big time generals. They just won a battle, and in some cases, a war, and they would have lowly servants whisper the following words into their ears as they were riding through their victory parades. They would say the following, Respice post te. Aminin te ese memento, memento mori. Translated, they said this, look behind you. Remember that you are but a man. Remember that you will die. So, memento mori is the practice of intentionally reflecting on our mortality, the brevity of life. It's the practice of running our ideas, our ambitions, desires, our disciplines, our relationships, our work, everything through the following grid, through the following filter. I'm going to die. This one thing is sure. So what will my legacy be? Friends, I'm 1000% convinced that people who are aware of their mortality and the brevity of life are more successful, more humble, more bold, and they give more dams than everyone else around them. One of my favorites, Rabbi Harold Kushner, says it this way. And if you've heard me over the last year or two or three, I've said this before, but I love coming back to it. He says, our souls are not hungry for fame, comfort, wealth, or power. Our souls are hungry for meaning, for the sense that we have figured out how to live so that our lives matter. So in 2019, you'll see, hear, and feel a million things that are outside of your control. I want you to accept those things and look intently at the things you can control, namely making a difference in the world, giving more dams than ever before. How? Well, so many reasons, but for the beginning of this year, let's focus on thinking about growing old, about dying, about death, about our mortality, about the brevity of life. Because since you only have one go at life, you should give it your all, right? Make 2019 the year you give more dams than ever before. Okay, I hope that was in a really weird roundabout way, cheery. I think it's a cheery thing. Death doesn't it doesn't scare me. I'm not saying that I don't have moments where I think about death and have weird feelings about it because I want to live for a long time. I have a lot to do. I want to grow old with my wife and my kids, and I want to do a lot of amazing things. But death doesn't scare me, and it shouldn't scare you. 
we are one little blip on the radar in the course of history. We're here for a little time to do our work, to leave, to make our mark on the world, to make a difference, to give a damn. So now that I've gone on for a little bit, I would like to stop doing that. And I'd like to share some of my favorite and some of your favorite interview moments from this past year. I've heard so much feedback throughout the year. So these are some of mine and some of yours. There were so many, but I narrow them down to these helpful tidbits. And uh, if you've listened to other uh, podcast episodes I've done in the past where I've shared highlight reel uh, podcast episodes, I'm not going to do it the way that I've done it before, which is break up each segment and introduce each person before their segment begins. I'm going to give you the order, the lineup now, and we're just going to run them right through. So listen to the names. You'll have to keep track. In this order, today, I'm going to share wonderful clips from Jessica Jackley, Tunde Wei, Mayor Ted Terry, Ruthie Lindsay, Dwayne Reed, Chelsea Clinton, She's a Shah, and Kevin Lyman. Here we go. There are seasons of life where we should take care of ourselves. I'm, I'm a big proponent of that. So why should the, those listening, let's give a damn family, why should they continue or begin to give a damn based on your experience? Sure. Just looking for general advice, general well, words I, of wisdom. It's funny because I don't like to should people, but I will say, I'll just put this out there. I feel like the, I've said this before, I, I gave um, a, the commencement speech at UCLA a few years ago, and I basically was like, listen, I feel like I'm the richest person in the whole world. Mm not necessarily financially, although we're so blessed and lucky to be able to pay, pay the mortgage, et cetera, right? Yeah. But I feel like in all these other currencies, I have hit the jackpot, right? I, I get to work on things I truly believe in every day. I get to have flexibility in my work. I, have, I get to have autonomy. I get to choose to work with only people that I find to be compelling and inspiring and have integrity. Like I don't feel like I'm compromised. Mm-hmm. Um, my life feels very integrated. I feel like I've gotten paid in adventures. Like crazy right amazing right if you pay me in a trip pay me a plane ticket to travel to a new a new country and i'm in you tell me any anywhere i'll go yeah um so i feel like to work on things that serve others you know you're it's why wouldn't you do that i i don't i don't think there's a better way to find fulfillment and joy and happiness and again to like feel like you are the most abundantly um, privileged person on the planet. So I don't, I feel like if you need to be talked into it, then you might not understand really what the option is. That's super right? helpful. So you, yeah, shouldn't, yeah. Yep. you shouldn't need to sit around and feel like this is a prescriptive, you know, I'm shaking my finger right now at the microphone. Yeah. Like there's no, pre- this is a no pressure situation, right. but goodness gracious, if you want to, I think, find the greatest, you know, joy and yeah, happiness and fulfillment key. and connection, yep. you can. And it's not through a traditional, I think it's not going to be through the traditional or let's just say the dominant um, paradigm of go out, protect only yourself, be be a a hoarder of things and money and, you know, giving uh, it's such a classic sort of cheesy cliche, but you really, if your focus is on what you can offer, you will get back 10 times what you are attempting to put out into the world. I think it's important to distinguish development from displacement 
And when I talk about gentrification, I'm talking about the displacement of people from their communities because of what I'm what I call discriminatory development. And it's discriminatory because generally folks of color and um, low to moderate income folks are the ones that are displaced. Specifically, low to moderate income folks of color are displaced mm-hmm. by white middle class, upper middle class professionals in in cities. That racialized and economic reality of gentrification is always fucked up. Yes. Always. Yes. Um, but does that mean that it doesn't benefit some, some people? Of course it does. You know, but that doesn't mean that it's still not fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. I was driving around with a um, a friend of mine a year or so ago, and dude has a heart of gold, amazing human, just great, great person. But we're driving around his neighborhood, and he pointed out um, some projects that were being torn down to put up nicer condos, right? And he was elated, mm-hmm. not because people were getting displaced, yeah. But because there'd be less crime and less homeless people. And like the way that he was, like he was thinking in his little, and I love the guy. Yeah. If he's listening to this and he puts two and two together and connects the <laughs> conversation, I love you. The point is, in his mind, in his worldview, he had figured out how to separate these two things. He's thinking, I'll have less people panhandling, less people coming to my door, less people doing this, less people doing that. Um, not at all thinking about the 70, 80, 100 families yeah. that lived in that complex that now, where do they go? Tell us, where do they go, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know where they go. They go, they go, they get pushed to where they can afford, which is 20, 30 minutes outside the city, Yeah, which is likely that it's not on a bus route anymore. So they lose their jobs. Yeah. They can't go to school any, like, you know, multiple things happen, yeah. which now sets them way back. Yeah. I really love the distinct the distinction you made. I'm not sure I've ever heard anyone say it that way. And I've had lots of conversations about gentrification is there's a distinction that we must recognize. We're not talking about development here. We're talking about the displacement yeah. of people. Which is driven by development. Which is driven by development. Yeah. Is there a way to do it right? Uh, I think so. I don't know if, because the way to do it right is is connected to other things and even I, I think to do it right, you have to have a systemic approach. It's complex for sure, but yeah, you, you need a systemic approach. You need to you know address transportation, you need to address education, you need to address I mean the, the biggest thing, I think, is wealth, yeah, you know, because there's also a deficit of market rate housing, you know, or a projected um, deficit. We're talking about, about 20,000 units. Now, that is unfortunate for folks who um, don't have access to that um, housing. But the sort of um, misfortune there is, in my mind, and I could be wrong, one of inconvenience as opposed to one of like serious uh, consequence. Mm-hmm. Right? If you have a vehicle, if you have a good job or good enough job, if you even maybe can work um, um, remotely, uh, if you have educational class privilege, then you're being inconvenienced when you can't find housing because you're not going to be um, destitute. Probably your commute is going to be longer, but you're, yep. you're commuting in your own vehicle. Yep. So this problem affects different strata, but the 
consequences differ in each socio-economic group. And I think the consequences are a lot more dire when we're talking about low to moderate um, income folks. First thing that comes to mind is, uh, you know, I went to Mexico City with my parents um, when I was like in fifth grade. And it was sort of my first trip to sort of, you know, a country that was a little grittier um, mm -hmm. where I grew up in Florida. And I remember being in this like sort of street market and it was kind of smelly and seemed a little kind of run down. Um, and my mom was who like lived in Mexico City in the 70s when it was even sort of more rough and tumble <laughs> um, than when I went like the, you know, the mid 90s. Um, was like, oh no, there's some really good food here. Let's just walk around and we'll find some really good food. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, um, if you push your comfort zone, if you sort of go up to the edge and just go a little bit further, you kind of find yourself, uh, growing a little bit and, and, you know, trying something new and, 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 you know, not every time the, does, does trying something new turn out to be great. Um, but a lot of times you, you at least walk away with a different perspective and a, an appreciation, um, and, you know, kind of fast forward that, you know, through my, my college days that, you know, just realizing, like, as I referred to when I, um, got back from a, a trip to Europe after um, I graduated high school and started college, um, and, you know, we're sort of, sort of faced with this, you know, changing environment where, um, you know, we were going to war in Afghanistan and war in Iraq, you know, there's this, um, uh, this, I think, appreciation for the people who live in, in countries, you know, oftentimes we say that, you know, we're at war with Iraq, we're at war with, you know, Iran or, or Korea or North Korea or wh whatever. And, you know, and I remember, you know, listening to people and, you know, you know, this, this, this idea that, well, I don't know anyone in those countries that I hate. Hmm. The political leaders are the ones who are, you know, starting the wars or who are the ones who are having right. conflicts with, but the, the people there are, just, just people just like you and I, they're ordinary people. They like to eat good food and they like to listen to good music and dance and have fun. And they care about their children's future. They care about opportunity and hope and safety. Um, and they want to see, um, you know, a, a better world, um, not for themselves, just for themselves, but for future generations. And, you know, I can't, I can, I can say that, you know, whether it's getting involved in politics locally or trying to, you know, just being fortunate as a, a local mayor that's had the privilege of um, going to international conferences um, where refugees and migration are considered now a, a really uh, a local issue to, that needs to be addressed by local actors. Uh, I'm meeting mayors and council members from, from Turkey and Morocco and Colombia and Spain and Italy um, and, and India who are on the front lines of the refugee and migration crisis. And it's very easy to say, well, those people over there, that's their problem. You know, why don't those mm -hmm. people go home and, and to not sort of, you know, just step back and be like, you know, these are people just like you and I. Like if I had lived in their in their shoes, if I had um, been forced from my home, from my country into a refugee camp where I'm likely to spend 17 years waiting for some opportunity to either return home or resettled, yep. um, I would have, I would have, um, you know, compassion, uh, for them as well. I've spent 16 years living outside the U S 10 in Guatemala, six in 30 plus countries around the world. 
I don't feel like America is my home because yeah. I've spent like really the pivotal years, like the big years of my life away. Yeah. But I've lived back here for the last 10 plus years and I truly did not know. Hmm. And I can fall off one side of the horse and say, well, this is the worst place on earth. It's not great in any way, blah, blah, blah. And I can just go. Sure. Or I can say, we've got some work to do, people. Yeah. We've yeah. got some work to do. That's right. And I think the only way that'll actually happen is through relationship. Mm-hmm. I really, mm-hmm. truly, that's like, literally could cry even thinking about it. Like when I think about my brothers and I'm like, we are so opposite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they probably think I've lost my goddamn mind and gone off the deep end, but we love each other so much. And like, we still trust each other. Mm-hmm. And so they are my that's constant important. baseline of coming back to like, we can be so different, yeah. but like we ultimately want to be loving humans. Mm-hmm. We want to treat people like mm-hmm. they are honestly the kindest. Like I was home for Christmas and one brother we're driving through town and he pulled over two different times to men walking on the street. These African-American men gave them money, knew their names, asked about their children. Um, it's amazing. Literally, he's asked to do everyone's funeral in my hometown. Everyone, every race, because everyone feels he's the doctor in the hometown. Everyone feels so loved and so seen and so cared for by him. I have another brother who they're really different too, but they are just, he, like I went home, they had redone their house for, and it was ready around Christmas time. And they were like, Next level, their house has been finished before anybody else's house ever gets done. Like everyone has nightmare stories about dealing with construction and the construction workers. And literally it was almost Christmas and all these guys were still at their house. It was done in some sort of record time. They knew every single person's name that was working at their house. He had Christmas gifts for every single person that had been working. Um, It was a lot of Hispanic men and they were... They felt so loved by my brother and my sister-in-law and those, like all the kids, they'd call them like Mr. Ed and they knew everyone's, everyone felt loved and seen and cared for. They were literally, it was like two days before Christmas and I'm like, why are they working? They're like, they insisted, literally they insisted to have this finished because they wanted us to be able to have it ready. But I'm like, nobody does that, but it's because they felt so loved and like we voted very differently and we see the world very differently Mm -hmm. in a lot, a lot, a lot of ways, but they treat people with love, dignity, and respect. Period. We have different views on gun law. Like there's all the things, All the stuff. but I'm telling you, these are the most precious men and they are examples of how to treat people for me. And I try to come back to that. You know, when I'm doing this us against them thing, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't, my tendency is to draw this line in the sand and I don't want to do that. I don't want to live like that. It's us against them. Because that's where my brain, we have these animalistic, we want to make sense of everything. So that makes the most sense because we see this pain and this suffering. So I'm going to make this black and white thing. This is going to make it better. And this is, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like, life is <laughs> not black and white. I think first things first, relationships are everything. Period. Point blank. Full stop. Yeah, absolutely everything. Like if you don't have that piece, in my opinion, you don't have anything. I think the social and emotional um, needs 
of a student are what's most important. At the very end of the day, we're human, you know? It's not teacher, student, it's not mom, son, it's it's human being. And as human beings, we need that love. There's this um, hierarchy of needs from a guy named Maslow. Um, and, and it starts off by saying like, you need, basically you need to be loved as a human being before I can, I need to reach your heart before I can reach your head, essentially. Um, so I think that really playing up those relational pieces, the, the handshake, the high five, like greeting them by their name, a hug, if, if, if that's appropriate, I think that really goes a long way because it says to you, I see you, I value you, you mean something to me, I'm happy that you're here. And a lot of students, a lot of people in general, they might not ever hear that. Like, in my family, it's common, but a lot of people, they don't have that in their family. They don't have somebody to say, you know what? I love you. You get on my nerves, don't get me wrong, but I love you. Um, And I think it's appropriate. I said that to my kids every day. I was like, look, y'all get on my nerves, but I love you and I'm not going nowhere. So I think that relationship piece is so huge. And like you said, being a teacher is hard work, man. It's it's really hard. I actually had to take about three and a half weeks um, away from school to care for myself mentally and spiritually and physically because teaching is hard work. But I don't think that there should ever be an excuse as to why we can't love other humans well. I don't care about your test scores. I don't care about this data point. I don't care about these numbers, these figures. I don't, I don't care about any of that if I don't first care about you as a human being. I just don't think being a person of inaction is an option, mm. particularly not at this moment in time. Um, I've had a lot of people say to me um, since the election, like, don't you just want to crawl into bed and like pull the covers over your head? I'm like, what good does that do anyone, right? That doesn't do like my children any good or the world that I want to live in like tomorrow, much less kind of for them to live in for you know many tomorrows. Um, you know, on on social media, um, I I consume um, really only social media kind of through Twitter and once in a while Facebook. So I'm not on other social media platforms, um, and I think that that probably somewhat helps me um, remain healthy because there is kind of a a, a limit to my kind of social media consumption if it's narrowed kind of to those platforms. And I also uh, really do um, believe that kind of when trolls, whether kind of bots or, or real people trolling or saying, um, you know, heinous things about me or anyone else, that that reflects so much more on them than on mm, me. Yes. Um, and I really do believe in the golden rule, and that may not be particularly fashionable right now, but I really believe in kind of doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so um, I very much kind of always uh, at least try and, and believe I do come from a place of, of kindness and respect, even if that is not being kind of either served to me or returned to me. Um, I, I do, though, think it's important um, to you know, not kind of dwell in the trolling for very long, but also to not ignore it. I think it is important to shine a light um, on it, um, particularly uh, when it is so kind of offensive to 
a sense of kind of common decency. I mean, I've been just horrified by uh, the attacks on the courageous uh, Parkland students. Uh, I think kind of what has been uh, kind of shelled out to Emma Gonzalez in particular mm. is just unconscionable. Uh, and so I do think it's important to kind of shine a light particularly on the darkness that is trying to kind of um, snuff out her light to say, you know, no, like we're not going to let that happen. And we're going to not only kind of protect and kind of push back on, uh, but just continue to to elevate uh, and kind of show solidarity. So there's a number of things I would say um, that I feel like people, I, I wish I knew um, when I started out in the early days, but I would say it's so important to accept failure. Everything that I've learned has been from the moments that I've failed, from the moments that I've fallen down. And it's okay to wel- welcome those moments because those are the ones that are really going to treat you, uh, teach you and build you up for the successes. So that's, that's one thing. Um, and the second thing I would say that if you are thinking of building a company, then the first thing you should do is validate whether there's a market for what you're doing. So before you start investing in hiring out a fancy office, building a great team, investing in equipment, or even going into production, just first go out there and speak to your potential consumers and try and get a feel of what they want. Because a lot of times entrepreneurs have this vision and this idea that this is what I think people want because I I want this, right? But when you go out there and speak to people, you realize there's not that many people that share that same um, thought process. And it may be that, you know, maybe you're close to what they're thinking, but not quite right there. So when, when you speak to your potential consumers, they will tell you all kinds of things. They will tell you, um, these are the specific things that I'm looking for in a product. If you can build this for me, and then another 10 people back that person up, um, you've got a great business right there. So I, I would say validation is very important. And three, I would say really try and figure out how your business will survive without external investment, without public funding, without grants or donations. Really try and build a sustainable business model because you will be able to stand on your own two feet and never depend on any other resource or any other body to provide for your company. The business will thrive on its own if it's able to generate um, its own capital. So I think I've got two questions left. One of them is is regarding a tweet that you did the other day. The other day, uh, a Ray Butcher, I don't know who that is, you retweeted them. They said, after the Parkland shooting, said, I'm joining whatever political party those kids in Florida just started. And you retweeted it and said, it is time to get out of the way and let the youth lead themselves into their future. Yes. What, what was your heart behind that? What did you mean by that? You're, I, a, you're an accomplished, you said 57-year-old, like you've done so much. Like why would you, who has a lot of influence, <laughs> say that? Like that's, I, I get in trouble and my wife says, you said it and I don't care if I say it again. Sure. I said, you know, at one point I said, the vote should be taken away from people over 65. Promise them their Medicare, promise them a few things that we won't touch, Social Security, Medicare. But they're not... And I know, I know, and I love my dad. He's 90 and he still goes and votes. But 
he doesn't care about he. I, 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 so yeah. I said that, and then I got in trouble because I said, you know, if they really wanted to fix uh, the Senate and Congress every Friday, the week out, every Friday that they don't get anything done, put all their names in a hat and then take them outside and one of them. <laughs> I can't say, you know, but I guarantee you. But it's so, I guarantee yeah. you things would start getting done. Yeah, Petty nothing's, differences nothing's done. and nothing's getting done. So we do need to get out of your future. And I've, I've been using that a little. I said it the other day and I ended up on the front page of the Plains Dealer. It was when I was telling these kids, we do need to get out of your way, but you need to start taking responsibility there for you your go. futures. Yep. And I'm seeing that. And oh, I, especially with this shooting. I well, mean, these kids are coming up. Well, and, and, I, and I've been saying it for years. Yeah. It's bubbling. We can't bash the millennials. The millennials will probably save us from technology because they're the only ones that grew up in technology yep. and know how dangerous it could be for people. Yep. So when they have children, maybe they're going to say, and I see it already, they're starting to have kids. Yeah. Where do they want to? They want to teach their kids how to grow yep. a tomato. Yep. They want to take them, teach them how to cook something. They yeah. want to get them outside. Read a physical book. You, a, a book, you yep. know, and you're, they have to activate as quick as possible mm. because in another few years... It may be too late for your futures. And there's a great book. How, uh, it's Baby Boomers, uh, a generation of sociopaths. Mm. They really are. They're only looking out. You know, when everyone says the world's doing great right now, well, in two weeks, because the stock market went up a little bit and their pensions are doing better this week. But they're selling out your futures. Yep. And it's time for every young person to look with inside and want to see what their world's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, then again, I always look at a little self-serving. I go, I, I've been trying to be good to youth, so maybe you'll let me become the future Walmart greeter of your society because I've been kind of nice to you in the, in the past. But I am ready to get out of the way. And yeah. that's, I'm getting out of the way maybe for the music industry to, for you, the, to start your own festival, to do something the way you wanted to do it. I've done it the way I've wanted to do it for so long, and I think it's worked for a lot of people. Maybe it's not for some people, but it's time for you to take, control of your future and I'm going to take control of what I still think I can do in these opioid initiatives. I may take 20 of the nonprofit, best nonprofits on their own tour, get rid of the music and just go to college and high school campuses, bring a head count next year and, and get kids to sign up because it's going to start locally too. Get involved in local communities and get, just get out there. And some people say that's easier said than done. No, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you'd be the person to do it, right? Cause you've oh, spent several decades overcoming the obstacles. Last question, a part of it is hypothetical. The not hypothetical part is that someday you're going to die, right? Hopefully it's many, many years from now, you've got a lot of great work to do left. But the hypothetical part is that for some reason, I've been asked to give your eulogy. So all of, all of the people you've influenced, this is a stadium full of people, the artists, the attendees, your family, your friends, your staff, they're all there. And I get to talk about your life and legacy. What do you hope in this hypothetical situation, what do you hope that I'll say about your life and your work and your legacy on that day? In a really tricky world, he kept the majority of his integrity. Friends, thanks so much for joining me for the very first podcast episode of 2019. So much in store for y'all in 2019. In the next month, or so, we have episodes with the wonderful Scott Hamilton, figure skating legend, Nicole Devereaux, whom I referred to earlier in the episode, Claude Silver, VaynerMedia's chief heart officer, and so many more. If you have any feedback, suggestions, ideas, thoughts, whatever, hit me up via email, hello at nicklapara.com or on Twitter at nicklapara. And if you're not following us on social media, at Let's Give a Damn, you are missing out. 
We share so much today that you'll never hear about on the podcast or see on the podcast. Obviously, you don't see stuff on a podcast. Additionally, we send out a weekly email that you should be getting in your inbox. If you're not, you're missing out. You can find the link to sign up for that on our Instagram bio link. Click on it or by looking in the show notes for this episode. Friends, I love you all. Same day, same time next week. Peace, you bunch of damn givers.